You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Welcome back to uh, Pullman, everybody. How many people were with us at Easter? How, how fun was that, huh? That was awesome. If you were there, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't there, I'm sorry. Um, it was amazing. We had a great time. It was that worship, obviously, was amazing and wonderful. Um, it was really neat uh, seeing our whole church family together in one place at one time, you know, to just look around and be like, hey, this is us, right? Like, we're filling out the bottom of this stadium. It's pretty cool. So I, I enjoyed it a lot, but I'm also glad to be back here um, and glad to be with uh, my regular every week people, right? Um, we're all our people, but it's cool to see people I know. So I'm glad you guys are here. And uh, like Adrian said, I know we've got people visiting from out of town and and uh, probably some folks that are uh, maybe checking us out after Easter and all that kind of stuff. Don't worry, I'm not going to do anything weird and make you stand up or anything like that. Unless, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be so awkward, right? But we are super glad that you're here. And um, I just think that if you're in town and you're looking for a church and you're looking for a place to plug in, that this is the kind of place where I think I can speak for everybody here that if you hang around for a while, uh, it won't take long and you'll feel like family. And so uh, our hope and prayer is that you'll stick around and you'll get to know us and uh, kind of plug in and find yourself in a church that feels like home, right? So we're glad for that. Um, this morning, we're going to be diving into this new uh, series, right? One Big Story. And this series is all about helping us see uh, the whole overarching story of the Bible, like the whole overarching redemptive story of God at work throughout history. And one of the things we're doing that's neat is the children's ministry is doing a similar curriculum. And so for those of you with kids, this is going to make it really easy for you to have a, a similar conversation. You're going to get... Um, sort of the grown-up version, and then they've got an age-appropriate version of similar material and content. And so our hope is that for parents, not only are we feeding you and encouraging you and inspiring you with God's word, but we're also making it easy for you to have those conversations with your kids, okay? So that's going to be happening every week. And uh, we're going to do something that today that uh, is pretty cool. Now, when I was thinking about this, and putting myself in your shoes, I kind of thought like, you know, when we start talking about telling God's big story, like the whole story, every story has got to start in the beginning, right? And we start thinking about starting in the beginning of God's story. We start thinking about Genesis and we start thinking about Genesis and starting in the beginning. If I was sitting in your shoes, I would be thinking, oh boy, this is going to be a long series, right? Like we're going to start in Genesis and we're going to go through the whole story, like for real, <laughs> one awesome Bible study person, right? But we're going to do something that's going to be really cool. And as we start in the beginning, I want to help us kind of lay down maybe some of our preconceived ideas or maybe things that we kind of bring to the table and come to this beginning of God's story with a fresh set of eyes, and to look at it, maybe, maybe it's not a new way for you, but for some of you, maybe it's approaching God's word, especially the story of creation, in a whole new way. Okay? One of the things that happens with Genesis is we approach Genesis, and, and people, especially in kind of modern 
American Christianity have tried to make Genesis uh, and the creation account something it's not. They've tried to make it like a, uh, turn it into a, a scientific report of how and when the earth was made. And they start talking about uh, were they literal days or were they not literal days? And if they weren't literal days, then how many, how many years were there or thousands of years or millions of years? And is the earth old or is the earth young? And is there, you know, what does radiometric dating mean and half-lives of carbon? And, and we start getting off into this like la-la land where it's easy to argue. And the problem is right from the get-go when you go that route, we've completely missed the boat on what the creation account in Genesis is about. So I want us to look at it with a fresh set of eyes this morning. And we're gonna do something that uh, we're big on here and that's context, right? Context matters, as Aaron loves to say. Context matters. And so it's like, who is this written to? When was it written? Who would have been the audience? And so if we can put ourselves in their shoes and understand a little bit better of who the author was writing to, what did the author mean for people to hear, it's going to help us understand it more accurately and shine light on scripture that probably a lot of us have read over and over and over again and are tired of reading. So here's the deal. Genesis in the creation account that we're going to look at today was written probably by Moses. It's actually a poem in the original language. And it was written to God's people who had just been rescued out of Egypt, brought through the Red Sea into the desert at the, at the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses writes these words and delivers this poem to this audience that was coming out of slavery. Now think about it. We've got to put ourselves in their shoes a little bit. They've been enslaved for over 400 years. Over 400 years, generation after generation after generation removed from the God that they knew, surrounded by a culture that celebrated multiple gods and other gods, by a, a culture that was pagan in nature and the gods demanded sacrifice and the gods demanded effort and work. And the longer they had been there, the more their original understanding of who God was was stripped away. And the more they were uh, influenced by the, the culture and the, the, their pagan captors that were around them, so much so that they leave Egypt with very little understanding of who God is. And a ton of confusion about which God is real and what God is like and what are other gods like. And so Moses writes this passage to him. It's not about how the earth was made. It's about the God that made everything. Genesis 1 and 2 isn't about how earth started. It's about the God that started it all. So as we go through this passage, we have to put that filter on. We have to put that lens on and think about and listen. What can we learn about who God is? What kind of a God is he? What is his character like? What is his nature like? What do we learn that he cares about? It's all about learning about the God of creation, not about how creation was made. 
You, tra- you following me? And as we get into this, it's important to remember one other thing. We're going to dive into this passage together, but it's important to remember one other thing as we start to go into this passage. This is something that we're reading in a modern English translation that is a, a, a translation of a text that was originally written in an ancient language that had no vowels. And it was a poem in that language. So it's really important as we read through it today in English that we don't get hung up on sentence structure and grammar and, uh, you know, thinking in our head, this is the weirdest poem I've ever heard, nothing rhymes, right? Like stuff like that. And we, we don't get lost in the nuts and bolts and miss the meaning, the message that God's trying to paint for these people that are coming out of slavery, We have to imagine this as Moses reintroducing God's people to who God actually is, okay? Um, As we go through it, there's going to be some repetition of things you'll notice. Anytime in scripture where things are repeated, it's important. So I would say if you're a note taker and you like to take notes in your Bible or in your uh, uh, handout that you've got, anytime you see a word or a phrase repeated, underline it, circle it, do something that makes sense to you, okay? So with that, let's dive in. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Since a little pattern here. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetations, uh, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth the vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, and the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. 
And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that keep, creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. This was the sixth day. You notice a lot of repetition right? We're going to cover a couple of those. And we're going to kind of zero in on a couple of really key things that God was trying to make uh, some specific points about through that repetition. One of the things we're not going to hit on this morning, but I'll give you a little kind of a food for thought this week. You notice how it says repetitively through there. One of the things you'll notice is it, according to its own kind, right? According to its own kind, whether it was seeds for uh, trees or fruit or animals or people, there's this phrase, this according to its own kind. I would say this, um, Think through this week and maybe reflect on um, looking at that from a different way. Not so much about like biology or science about how things were made or how they came to be or like evolution, it can't be this or this. Like just ignore that train of thought and to go maybe a new train of thought and go, if I looked back through that and really studied that stuff, what does it teach me about God? What does it reveal to me about God's nature or the kind of God that God is? So that's some fun homework for you. We're going to camp out on a couple other ones. One of the other ones that was repeated over and over is evening and morning, right? Evening and morning. Moses was trying to help God's people to understand that the, the God of their ancestors the true God that he was trying to reacquaint them with and help them get to know again was a God that was unlike anything they were familiar with. In this God's economy, you start from a place of rest. Every day starts with evening. You start rested before you work. And this is like a foreign concept to a nation of slaves who come from an environment where it was all about how much they could work, how much they could produce, how many bricks they get done in a day, how much production or effort or energy you expel. 
Nothing like the world we live in right now, right? He was trying to help them understand that this is a God that is not like the gods you've heard about. This God loves you and created you and made you good and, and gave you a good world and all that you need and you can start from a position of rest. The next thing that he repeated throughout there over and over and over is this phrase, it is good. It is good. Whether it was birds of the air, fish of the sea, stars, plants, fruit, even creepy things, it is good. It is good. And people, it's like he looked at everything he did, including mankind, and it's very good. He was trying to help them understand that this is, this is not like the God you've been experienced, the, the gods you've experienced and the, the culture that you come from. This is nothing like that. This is a God who loves you and is not angry. This is a God who's not mad at you. This is a God who's, who's not holding out on you. He made everything for you and gave you what you need. And for a nation of slaves, this idea of a good God that made a good world for them to rule over, not to be ruled by, over, like for them to have dominion and authority over it is unheard of. It's a really hard thing to wrap their brain around. And if we put ourselves in their shoes... It helps us understand this account that Moses gave in Genesis. It helps us understand what is God trying to communicate to these people and why is it so important that they understand these things about God, right? They, they're coming out of this broken world where they were slaves, ruled by other people, no freedom of choice, no freedom of how long they work or when they want to go home or what they want to do every day. Their world was dictated to them and God's going, no, 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 no. It's going to be different from here on out. Step one, Operation Rescue. Let me, let me save you from that. Step two, let me reintroduce you to who I really am. God's like, I want you to know me, the God that made you and sees you as good. Now, for me personally, getting ready for this series and just over the past several months, just really reflecting on um, kind of my own personal understanding of God, the Father, and and then this really kind of hit home thinking through about how it put myself in the shoes of the Israelites coming out of there. Like, um, how would they have heard this? Like, what would they have been thinking about other things? How, how would have this been difficult to understand or wrap their brain around? And I found myself really identifying with the Israelites a ton. Like going, man, I, I, I was surprised. Like how in common I felt with them. And getting ready for it, it was really kind of touching a nerve for me personally. Like, um, I felt like I could really relate to them and I really needed to be reminded of a lot of the same things that God reminded them of. And it, it hit home with me like, 
man, why is it so hard for me to believe some of those things? And uh, leading up to this this week, doing sermon club with the guys and then talking with my wife and kind of getting ready to share about this stuff, it was like I had a full-blown kind of like good old-fashioned cry meltdown. I was just like, oh, man. And, I'm, and it was just one of those things where I'm like, my wife would laugh. She'll tell you, like, I hate to cry. I have no idea why, right? There's nothing wrong with crying, for, for the record, right? It's fine. But I don't know. I just don't like to. And so she, she's like, what is going on? Are you okay? You know, like, like what's really going on? And, I, and I'm asking myself like that. Like, God, the, Genesis? Like, the creation account? Like, you're tearing me up over the creation account? Like, what is going on? And I realized, like, how much I could see myself in the shoes of the slaves needing to really be reintroduced and to be reminded of who God is. Now, I want to share some stuff with you guys. Um, it, uh, it uh, yeah, it's not fun stuff for me to share, okay? I think people will relate to it. I think probably there's people that kind of need to hear a little bit about it. Um, but I also don't like talking about it because it scratches that nerve, right? That my cry nerve. <laughs> um, so here's the deal. Like, I want to share a little bit about kind of my story that, that would maybe help you understand and, and maybe you'll uh, um, kind of identify why I need to kind of be reminded of the same things as the Israelites and maybe some of us in here do too. So I grew up uh, with like a lot of people with a single mom and I was the oldest of three kids and my dad uh, left my mom when I was seven and was gone. And my mom had just had a brand new baby that was two months old, uh, my little sister. And I had a little brother two years younger than me. And so she was a single mom. She was a school teacher. She was a hard worker. My dad left and through my early adolescent years, he was really um, distant and very removed. There was like the normal visitation that we were supposed to do and stuff. I mostly remember him arguing with my mom about child support. I mostly remember him arguing with my mom about where they would have to go to meet each other, to swap kids. And that when we did meet and get with him, it was not this like, I'm so excited to see you. I couldn't wait. Like I, I had missed you. It was, I was really put out is what I felt from my dad, that it, was, that it was a bother or an inconvenience for him to have us for his visitation. And it just kept reaffirming in me this idea that like, this dad thing is not so great. It seems like it should be good, but all of my experience keeps showing me that it sort of sucks. By the time I was in junior high, it was like, a year between visits. We wouldn't see each other hardly at all. He never called. Uh, he didn't check up on us or see what we were doing. I did sports and activities and stuff. He never came to any of our stuff. Wasn't involved in anything or interested in anything we did. By the time I was in high school, it was less and less and less. And even when I would try to pursue him, he was just not responsive. He didn't want relationship. And my mom, on the other side, my mom, I love my mom to death. 
she's amazing. She's awesome. But she was hurting in her own way, right? She was struggling. She had heartache and he, he left her with three kids. I mean, it was a cruddy spot to be for a single mom. And she did what a lot of people do. She just started working a ton. And so she just worked herself to the bone and she would stay late after school. She would bring homework. She was super checked out as a parent. And for us, my brother and sister and I, like, it was like he left and she left. Even though she was sort of there, she wasn't. And so for me, when I start to think about scripture like this, that, it, that the whole heart of the message is about who God is and what kind of a God is God. What does he care about? What does he like? And I start to think about saying things like God is a good God. God is a God that doesn't hold out on us. God's a God that's for me, not against me. It's one thing to say those things. It's another thing to actually believe them, right? And for me, it just touches a nerve because it's like, whoo. Sometimes it's hard to believe it. hard to believe that God's a father that's going to be there for you, right? That God's a father that's not going to bail out on you. This would be the part where I don't like it, where I usually cover up with humor. And it's like, Man, do we need to be reminded, just like those Israelites coming out of slavery, do we need to be reminded all the time of the kind of God that we have? A God that loves us, a God that's for us, a God that isn't going to bail out on us, that isn't going to be put out when we come to him with, and, and want to spend time with him, a God that cares about us that has given us what we need, fellowship and friendship and community and creation. Like this beautiful world that we live in, like it was for us. To be reminded that that's the kind of God who wants relationship with us. Who will go to great lengths to save us from, from sin and captivity to sin, like literally redeemed people from slavery, walked them through a parted sea, and through Christ, he will do the same thing for us. Like he will, he will make a way for us to be free to be with him. We're gonna take communion in a few minutes, and I just... I hope and pray that no matter where you're at or what you're going through or what your history is like, I, probably, I, I bet probably there's a lot of stories in here that are a lot worse than mine. I bet you there's a lot of stories that are similar than mine. I know enough people and I know enough stories to know that messed up dads not doing a great job is way more common than it should be. And it impacts greatly how we understand and experience God the Father. And so I would just say that this morning I hope and I pray that, that if you have struggled with knowing God as this kind of God that Moses is talking about, if you're like, yeah, I've, I could say the words, but I don't know if I believe them, I really hope and pray that this morning is like kind of drawing a line in the sand where you're like, I'm going to get to know him. Like 
Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's something you've known him forever. And you're like, man, I need to be reminded of that. I really need to know God that way. I hope this morning and today that it's a day where you're like, I'm going to get to know God. I'm going to dig in and pursue him like a dad that loves me. We're going to pass these uh, buckets. They're going to go out real quick and just drop your connection cards in those when they go by. And then they're going to pass the communion trays. And at Real Life, if you're new with us or just visiting, everybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is welcome to take communion with us. Uh, you don't have to be a member or anything like that. If you love Jesus, we want you to have communion with us. When the trays are passed, just please hold on to the elements, and we'll take communion together in, uh, here just in a few minutes, okay? While they're doing that, and we're going to get that stuff passed out, in your notes, you'll see some implications. Like, for those of you that are here all the time, you know that we kind of wrap up the sermon each week with some implications. They're like... Uh, just some things that we think are really significant that we want to make sure people take away from the sermon or things that we hope that'll really help you kind of chew on things and think about them. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning, okay? I want for us to, rather than just see these as these external statements, I want for us to like take a little personal ownership. So I'll show you what I mean. Let's look at the first one up here. The story is good, okay? I want us to practice uh, personalizing that. So everybody try saying this, my story is good. Right? That's what God wants us to know, that we're a part of a good story to begin with, that our story is good. He didn't set you up for a bad life. Our story is good. Let's look at this next one. You are not a mistake. Let's try this. I am not a mistake. Depending on where you come from and how you grew up and what you, you know, how you were raised or what was going on, that might be a hard thing to say. But the God that Moses is introducing his people to again is a God that wants you to know you are not a mistake. You are part of his good plan from the beginning. And he loves you and he sees you as very good. Let's look at the next one. In all of creation, God sees you as very good. Okay? Let's try this. In all of creation, God sees me as very good. In all of creation, God sees me as very good. That's the truth. That's the truth. And let's look at this last one. We are a church that reaffirms the truth of who God says people are. Like that's, that's what we're about here. That's what we want to be known for. We want to be known for representing Jesus well. We want to be known for helping people see who God says they are. Not messed up mistakes. Not the sum total of their sins. Not what they did wrong. We want them to know that, that they are loved by God, made good by God, 
and that they have a God who is in the redeeming and reconciling and rescuing business. And if they don't know him, man, we want them to get to know him. That's who we are as a church. The cool thing is, as we take communion each and every week, we get to be reminded of the great lengths that God will go to to redeem us, to free us from our sin, from our bondage. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And as often as we get together, we should do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup and he told them that this was the cup of the new covenant. It represents his blood shed for us. So as often as we get together, let's drink this in remembrance of him. God, we love you. Thanks for shining light on who you really are and helping us to maybe get to know you in a new way. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would, like you do, use the words of your scripture to um, teach us about who you are, help us to get to know you more personally. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.